I V M. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Takshashila. Uh, today uh, we have Nitin and Pranay, and we're going to have a conversation about on, Pakistan. On Pakistan. Uh, let me just take this up, right? Like we've analytically looked at Pakistan as two entities: uh, the putative Pakistani state. that's the you know the prime minister the president the flags and the attorney generals and the parliaments and and so on and so forth and the military jihadi complex now these we think are two pakistans right in our analytical framework they are two different entities they are physically in the same space they both constitute the whole thing called state of pakistan but they are analytically different entities so what the military jihadi complex does is that it captures almost all power all levers of power it enjoys the fruits and it deflects the punishments onto the pakistani state so in a way the pakistani state is uh, you know it might say that we want to have peace with pa- uh, with india we want to do this and we want to do that now they can only do what they want to the extent that they are permitted to do so by the military jihadi complex so this is at an analytical level two different players now this is important because whenever we look at pakistan and say we we want to have a peace process with pakistan or something like that you looking at your you you're presuming that there's only one player on the other side but i like to look at it as you're playing uh, tennis with two players on the other side right you <laughs> might have served your ball to one of them but you might get a return from the other right so or both or both so <laughs> that, that's it's both generally <laughs> that's that's the problem with hmm. dealing with pakistan right so uh, while for example the civil society of pakistan might be fighting for liberal rights uh, there might be elements in the political the system of pakistan who might want better relations with india uh, there might be politicians who might given a chance prefer better relations in india but all of these people belong to the putative pakistani state and they in my view would be powerless against the military jihadi complex i think uh, pranay we must talk about what this j- military jihadi complex is the hyphen there yeah uh, before we go on to that i i just wanted to add you know pakistan has always confounded lots of governments right a lot of times people use the word duplicity to explain what pakistan is yes. but you know that duplicity lies in duality the fact that there are two pakistans is sort of not understood so well so it is more or less they say that pakistan behaves duplicitously but it is a uh, effect because of the fact that there are you know two different pakistans which exist one being the putative state and the other being the mjc so what really is the mjc we call it a complex so what is this complex and uh, how do you kind of explain the military jihadi complex somebody who you know has just heard the words the first time uh, i think pranay will probably give you a better uh, handle on this but the i just look at it as uh, the military establishment and the jihadi apparatus which are joined uh, to each other at multiple levels horizontally and also vertically right so there are uh, alignments between the pakistani troops and jihadi uh, outfits at let's say at ground level right and there are tactical alliances where they might be used as you know the jihadi groups might be used as uh, special forces or as cannon fodder or irregulars at one side but they are also connected strategically wherein the leadership of the establishment might want to carry out Uh, might want to use jihadi groups to carry out uh, terrorist attacks or coerce politicians within their own country or operate in afghanistan or in india and jammu and kashmir uh, in jammu and kashmir and so forth so uh, the uh, the third angle to this is actually organized crime 
because they also have a uh, they also have a um, infrastructure which enables um, you know movement of goods of people yeah. of uh, money to flow so this and is the drug trade really the drug trade and there are lots of yeah. other things there are lot of uh, organized crime rackets yeah. which are operating so before we go into the constituents of the mjc uh let's uh, understand why we call it a complex okay so we've borrowed this term from complex systems and organizational theory okay so uh, the, a complex is defined by a few characteristics okay so a complex for example is made up of a large number of constituent entities that interact with each other like nitin said at a horizontal level also some functional linkages will be there at various levels second is it lies somewhere between an ordered system and a chaotic system okay an ordered system means that all agents are constrained uh, uh, through formal and informal rules whereas a chaotic system means that the agents are not uh, restricted at all but a complex lies somewhere in between where informal methods of control constrain agent behavior okay then the third uh, element to this is that these various elements of the complex which we call as nodes they all have one going concern okay so they have a common uh, aim they have a common set of goals that they want to achieve fourth there is a high degree of connectivity and interdependence between all these nodes okay uh, fifth all these nodes co evolve and finally these are uh, this is Uh, self similar in the sense that different levels of hierarchy exhibit scaled versions of a common corporate culture so these this is how we define a complex and there are very many many other examples of a complex as well for example uh, in my view the google play store ecosystem is also a complex okay because all the players involved whether the app creators or google itself which is the central node all have one going concern the, that uh, your android phone should be put to the best use okay uh, and they have some uh, linkages with each other uh, it's not necessary that google directs uh, us as consumers on how to do it but there are informal methods of linkages and google as a central node can direct actions in one way or the other okay so if you uh, see these six characteristics that i told uh, they fit into a google play store <laughs> ecosystem as well and also to, to, they can be used to explain the pakistani military jihadi complex so taking this example who is the central node in the in the military jihadi complex right so the central node in the military jihadi complex is the pakistan army, army. so that is the main node which has sort of doing the interdependence coordination between these various nodes uh yeah so and it also you know it it also has the biggest guns right yeah. if you look at it it's it's the one which which has uh, which has monopoly on the use of i mean not not exactly i think we can't say pakistan there's a monopoly yeah. on the use of uh, on use of uh, force but it is the dominant uh, player in terms of the use of force yeah. right it has more firepower than all of these other guys combined and it also has legitimacy to use that uh, power firepower because it's an agent of the state and it also has authority both in uh, nominal terms and in practical terms because the army chief is the authority right he can he can literally call the shots apart from the pakistan army there are a few other nodes as well to this military jihadi complex so the second node is so the first node we comprises of the pakistan army isi and the other armed forces okay the second one would comprise of the range of militant organizations which they have uh, okay so it includes things like lashkar e taiba jaish e mohammed huji etc now this is a well known node right the third one it comprises of several 
socio religious organizations that are closely linked with the militant node of the complex okay they are the front end of all these military jihad mili- the jihadi network for example the jamaat ud dawa which is a front for the lat right so those are the so these are these are big socio religious organizations which have presence in the society a lot of uh, their legitimacy is derived because of some of the work that these guys do in uh, rural pakistan Okay. the fourth node comprises of organizations that are you know ostensibly uh, charity trusts but they have deep connections with terrorist networks so examples for this include there was a rabita trust alakhtar trust al rashid trust all these are uh, some charity trusts which have close relationships with the military jihadi complex okay the fifth node comprises of this organized crime syndicates that provide material and financial support to terrorists so drug syndicates trucking mafia etc fall into this this is where people like this daud ibrahim also fit into the big right then uh, the sixth node comprises of for profit organizations that uh, are related so for example pakistan uh, has this national logistics cell okay now it is a trucking company which is wholly owned by the pakistan military and it has developed a symbiotic relationship with the taliban so it is involved with the drug trade and i'm sure it's making a lot of money through that mode and then there was this now defunct bank called the bank of credit and commerce international mm-hmm. bcci yeah. the other bcci so this B- bcci also had uh, you know it was a financier uh, for a lot of illicit activities including it had a role in the uh, nuclear proliferation trade that pakistan was doing and uh, the seventh and the last node of this complex is even some political parties okay so uh, the mjc has a history of forming new political formations and creating one, new ones uh, for example uh, even nawaz sharif was the creation uh, of the mjc they had uh, islami jamhuri ittehad the iji which was formed earlier and then when nawaz sharif became his own man and uh, at at that point of time they created new people like the pat and then uh, pti etc so all these are uh, political parties that also form a part of this complex so these are sort of the seven nodes of the mjc as we see it so the mjc is actually even in you know it has its fingers in the putative state as well yes 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 it its domination is achieved through it being present in yeah, the it has tentacles all across yeah. in fact civil bureaucracy lot of the people in the civil bureaucracy are considered military's men mm. right so that although <laughs> yeah. they are they are hired in the civil service they have a dotted line to the military so certain positions are only given to these guys right okay. or so they are coerced into being uh uh in a way uh, uh, what do you call them Rep- representing representing yeah. them or informers hmm. or so forth so there so the, the nothing happens in the pakistani government which the military jihadi complex doesn't know of hmm. the vice versa is not true yeah yeah <laughs> for example la- last year itself uh, pakistan's total defense expenditure and this is explicit expenditure okay i don't know how much is implicitly was around 18% of its gdp okay and at the same time uh, pakistan's mortality rate for children below 5 years is the worst in south asia okay uh, so we are you can see here right that there is so much expenditure done by the defense forces even explicitly even though their outcomes on many many other uh, indicators are quite poor in pakistan yeah because this is really a case which we were talking about earlier right that 
if there is a reward let's say the united states gives reward to pakistan right this is mm-hmm. what happened during the uh, first decade of the last uh, of the of this millennium where the americans gave a lot of aid a 30 to 40 billion dollars yeah. uh, in terms of aid 30 yes, billion dollars yes, right yes. in terms of aid uh, to the pakistanis in return for their help in the war on terror yeah. reimbursements Now, reimbursements for, for example or yeah. rewards or payments for services yeah. and all of this right now who got the lion's share of this money it's the military jihadi complex hmm. right but when there are sanctions imposed on pakistan who bears the brunt of the sanctions it's the ordinary people in the pakistani state and so forth right so in that sense the the ability to control the levers of power also allows the military jihadi complex to grab the rewards when they can and deflect the punishments on to somebody else now of course this is a problem uh, for us looking at it from outside pakistan but it's actually a pa- problem for right thinking pakistanis right but the problem uh, uh, is is you know sort of hidden by the fact that you've got an ideological veneer or you've got the they are also the custodians of the ideology of pakistan yeah. hmm. so what it's basically done is they've told everyone that look this is how you should think and we are the protectors of the people who think this way right so it's a closed loop in a way i think a lot of pakistanis are victims of their own, own narratives all of us are victims of our own narratives but in, in case of pakistan i think it's a lot more uh, they just can't shake this off because uh, you know they they've been told that uh, you know india is your enemy uh, you know and many people believe it also i don't mm. know whether they've been told or they believe but i i would like to think that the your ability to disbelieve this narrative is constrained by the military jihadi complex you yeah. cannot disbelieve yeah and it is the most successful organization within the between the two pakistan so it it wouldn't allow any other narrative to surface as well whenever there is a chance of another narrative surfacing it just kills it right yeah and this is the, uh, the practical impact of it pranay is like when we talk about why do why do terrorist attacks happen right yeah. so for our uh, one of the ways we have been thinking about azad is that whenever there is an attempt uh, to reach out Uh, to india or for india to reach out to the pakistani state the Pax, the military jihadi complex feels that things are getting too close to the bone right so because uh, a, a deal with india would effectively demote them in the eyes of the people that why do you need such a big armed force if india is a, a, no longer an enemy right so they would try everything to block that right and the easiest way they can block that is you know if there is some kind of a Uh, attempt of an outreach if there is a rapprochement of some kind on the in the on the horizon they'll just come in and wreck it by creating a terrorist attack so in that sense uh, which is why we we felt that look you know we don't have to go out and try and make uh, inroads with pakistan and try and reach out to them or whatever right let them let them figure out what they are let's just get on with it because the moment one of our leaders or you know one of the prime minister or someone tries to build a peace process with the pakistanis you are going to invite terrorist attacks upon yourself yeah. nidin you know in this i always feel there is some sort some amount of outcome irrelevant learning that is happening in this whole uh, talks process because irrespective of the repercussions we face because of the mjc people on both sides will say no we should do talks we should do these big jumlas with uh, prime ministers of both countries coming together only to witness a response by the mjc uh, soon after so in irrespective of the outcome every time any new pm comes on both sides yeah yeah we need a peace process yeah yeah so, which is which is which is bizarre i think that's probably uh, a kind of thinking which has led us into these trap i think we can actually afford to ignore uh, pakistan 
for a long period of time because internally you've got uh, you've got your economic act to get together and externally i mean pakistan is at best a distraction at best a pinprick right so is there any way we can reach out to the mjc or is it is it even worth reaching out to the mjc that's a very interesting question i think uh from a realist perspective if the guy making the rules and calling the shots is the mjc then we should find a way to engage them right hmm. now engage them does not mean uh, you empower them and give them legitimacy or authority but you should have channels of communication with them uh the risk of doing it uh, doing something like this is that to the extent that you um, make them your interlocutor on primary interlocutor on the other side you're going to make them stronger you're going to make them more established you're going to give them more legitimacy in the, in the eyes of their own people which is something which you don't want because in the long term the military jihadi complex is irreconcilable right we've got to find ways to dismantle them in the long term in the short term we've got to contain them but in the long term we have to dismantle them yeah. so engaging them becomes counterproductive yeah that's true because if you look at it from an organizational lens again right what is keeping this complex a complex uh you know what is keeping it together is some sort of a strong shared culture right uh, that's why all these functional linkages exist and one of the basic elements of this strong shared culture is a deep seated antagonism towards india so uh, even if you engage with the mjc it's not as if we'll be able to take out that deep seated antagonism no it's not just uh, deep seated it's it's an existential antagonism yeah, right. because if you take india out of the equation what do you need the pakistani army for i mean who are they going to fight the the afghans the the iranians they're not going to fight them i mean they don't need such a big armed force hmm. to fight them anyway right so it, it attacks their very raison d'etre yeah they, you don't need the such a big pakistani army you don't need that many generals you don't need that many divisions you don't need to spend so much on defense so in that sense the pakistani army needs an adversary like india for it to exist so the organizational interests of the pakistani army require you to be an adversary so how can you re- uh, have a you know how can you reconcile with such an adversary you can't so from our perspective we'll have to figure out how to dismantle this over the long term so what is the relationship like uh, with of the military jihadi complex uh, with the external world uh, we have the crown prince of saudi arabia coming to pakistan and india so how do they kind of interact with other players uh, right so uh, the mgc has a set of external financiers if you may call it so as we discuss any funds that go to pakistan out of the two pakistans this one sort of captures whatever uh, money comes right irrespective of whether they are tied funds untied funds money is fungible it finally goes to the uh, military jihadi complex so uh, saudi arabia china and even us have been uh, sponsors of the military jihadi complex in one way or the other okay now the us's role for example now it has changed quite a lot uh, especially under trump under trump yeah and the reset has tr- been happening yeah. over the last Yeah, but I think years. Trump has seen it more cleanly than anybody yeah. else. I think he's one of the his uh, talents, so to speak, is oversimplification, and I think in this case he's oversimplified or simplified it just right. He just mm. sees that these guys can't be our allies or partners. Mm. These guys are part of the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just like the U.S., even uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, 
uh, china are major sponsors for the mjc right and they are different each sponsor is different and their relationship with the mjc is different for example uh, the us relied on the mjc to uh, help them in afghanistan and in return gave them reimbursement and a lot of untied grants which were ostensibly given for development purposes but uh, mjc appropriated it right on the other hand if you see the china uh, financing of the mjc it is slightly different because china gives more constrained grants to uh, pakistani military jihadi complex so in the sense uh, they don't throw away money like the us were doing earlier and with the saudi arabia uh, relationship it is quite different for example recently saudi arabia formed a coalition uh, to fight in yemen and they used they got rahil sharif who's a retired chief of army staff in pakistan to sort of head this alliance so in a sense when they want to do their dirty wars they would want to have yeah, but pakistan you see i think yeah, all of them are realizing the limits of uh, how much they can get out of pakistan right mm-hmm. i mean the americans obviously found out uh, and now they are in the other side uh, saudis realized that because when they were they went to war in yemen they said we need pakistani troops yeah. and the pakistani said we are not going to send so troops pakistani I mean, only sent rahil sharif they, they just sent one guy <laughs> <laughs> so they just sent one one guy who was a general but they they refused to send troops right and mm-hmm. I, i think that was a wise decision on the part of the pakistani i think to, to the extent that the nawaz sharif government was able to cohere and uh, you know put uh, put something on the table coherently it was a wise decision i mean why would you want to send pakistani troops to fight some weird war in yemen right mm. but from the saudi point of view they realized the limits of that partnership so you could indulge pakistan you could bankroll them on various things and there's of course the pakistani nuclear uh, arsenal part of which can be in my view apportioned by uh, saudi arabia uh, called upon by saudi arabia when the need arises mm. but these are all you know big strategic things but on a on a day to day level if they are asking for troops pakistan is not going to oblige them similarly i think the chinese have realized after imran khan came into uh, thing that there is only so much that they can uh, get out of pakistan through even through cpec and the other things the pakistan is ready to take your money but when things uh, get a little difficult the pakistanis will draw the line at on their national interest and the chinese are also realizing this so I guess that's a. Uh, it's tricky for the sponsors to deal with these guys, but of the independently of these mechanisms, the the military jihadi complex has ways to uh, generate funds for itself. Uh, the military establishment does a lot of business. Mm. I think it's one of the largest real estate developers in uh, yeah. Pakistan. It runs bakeries. It runs bakeries. It makes cornflakes. It runs uh, transport companies. Uh, it makes a you know Aisha Siddiqui has written this book called mm. Milvus. uh military incorporated which yeah. talks about all of this right so they have uh, these sources of second they also are involved uh, to a large extent maybe you know it's hard to define whether they are formally involved or informally involved or in what way they are involved but the the afghan drug trade for example it is i mean you would be foolish to believe that the afghan drug take can uh, drug trade can take place without uh, the connivance of the pakistani army because the you know that's the land route which they control yeah Then There was an example in the Pathan Court uh, air base attack as well. The route which was used uh, and all the logistics that was used were of a drug trade consignment, which were used to facilitate that attack. So there were clearly linkages between the Pakistan army and the drug trade. Yeah, and then so the, so they they are in a way they are financed uh, in many ways, but the largest source of Mula they had over the last fifteen years was U.S. dollars coming from the Americans, mm. and now that's dried up. 
right so now they're trying to substitute that with the various uh, various others like the chinese money and you know some of this business uh, deals and all that but i think they will be in a pinch it's hmm. not like they're rolling in money now hmm. so, geographically there's one other country in the region iran which which i think pakistan has a love hate relationship uh, there was uh, a, a terrorist bombing in the revolutionary guards which i think killed 35 40 revolutionary guards and the iranian foreign minister was kind of on record saying that we will you know retaliate against pakistan for this so where does iran fit into this equation with the njc i think iran is the tricky one right as you said it's a love hate relationship uh, because uh, being a neighbor uh and adjacent to afghanistan the pakistanis can't antagonize iran beyond a point in fact it's sometimes in their interest to have good relationship with the iranians also because balochistan which is a shared territory between the two is a site of an insurgency right so so if you want to contain the insurgency in balochistan you need to have good relations with the iranians on the other side who also have shared interests in containing their side of a potential insurgency but the problem is also geopolitical and and in a way denominational because the iranians are shia is a shia state and uh, one of the uh, closest allies which the pakistanis have is the saudi arabia saudi arabia does not like iran and it sees iran as a contender for uh, regional domination and so uh, so forth so uh, pakistan has constraints in terms of uh, dealing with iran because of these other factors so it's it's a push pull love hate uh carbon dioxide kind of relationship yeah. but it's not an existential enemy as the pakistan army defense like there have been a lot of books which talk about the strategic culture of the pakistan army right and what they are for example taught in the academies etc but a very little of that is sort of iran focused or that which portrays iran as you know an essential part of the shared culture of the pakistani military jihadi complex it's always india as the biggest enemy and india needs to be defeated at all cost not so much iran so i think it is between iran and mjc i think they are Uh, reconcilable yeah. to certain extent i think the more uh, interesting version of this is how coherent is the mjc right how coherent is the military jihadi complex now we have seen for example when musharraf was the was the dictator of pakistan there were elements within the military jihadi complex which were against him hmm. some of them i mean they were tried to they tried to bump him off and ultimately when he was dethroned so to speak he was dethroned by kiani who engineered uh, his uh, exit through a very complex skullduggery with the chief of uh, the supreme court right so in a way he uh, he engineered it in such a way that musharraf had to fall so uh, there are you know there are factions within the military jihadi complex mm. uh, they could be personal uh, relations they could be personal histories they could probably even be uh, i don't know sectarian uh, elements they could be um, you know the pashtun versus the punjabi versus the non punjabi uh, in terms of ethnic factors so i think there are a few of these factors at play within they are largely opaque to us because probably we don't read the urdu press anymore uh, pranay used to read the urdu yeah, press I, i'm still catching up now <laughs> but uh, yeah nitin what you said for example the ttp is one sort of a group that has split and now is acting against the pakistan army and the recent uh, attacks which had happened in peshawar 2 uh, 3 years ago and then in uh, lahore that again indicate how this mjc also is not 
uh, it, that's why it, we didn't call it an organization, right? It's still a complex. So at some point of time, there might be uh, groups which might fight against each other. And, and, and there they, might be motivations, motives like vengeance. Because if, if you're an armed group and you feel that you've been unfairly treated or unjustly treated by another armed group, yeah. you'd probably settle this through use of force, right? So the other armed fo- group in this case could be the Pakistan army. So if one of the Tanzims feels that, you know, it has been poorly treated by some people in the Pakistan army, they might just go and try and bump them off. And that creates another uh, dynamic of violence in between. So I don't think they are coherent in terms mm. of or coherent and they're not like foot soldiers who are well disciplined and will march to the same tune. Uh, that's why the word complex comes in. They're all broadly aligned towards certain goals, but they're not like, uh, you know, hand in, uh, what's that thing? Lockstep, mm. walking in lockstep. So, so, but, so, uh, so it's not an organized kind of uh, grouping. It's uh, much, uh, as Pranay talked about earlier, it's it's these nodes and they have some linkages. Yeah, it's somewhere between chaos and... Uh, chaos and a completely uh, ordered, ordered system. system somewhere, somewhere in the middle. But, but Nitin, one, taking this point forward, I've thought about this many times. How important is the role of this central node called the Pakistan Army in keeping all these uh, self-destructive groups sometimes from fighting against each other? So... The cent- and what does the central node's authority rest on? So now, for example, imagine by some chance the legitimacy of the Pakistan army gets reduced. Okay, Will that have an effect on uh, these splits coming to the fore even more? That's, I don't yeah, know. I, I think I just was reminded of an electrical engineering analogy, right? Circuit hmm. design. Hmm. So I think the military, the Pakistani army provides both the clock signal and the power. Hmm. So mm. the clock, so the whole system clocks to the Pakistani thing. So it synchronizes right. to the Pakistani army, right? And it also provides a lot of the power. Mm. So uh, there might be mm. multiple sources of power, but I think one of the biggest sources of power is this, mm. right? So and everything else aligns around it, and it also has the ability to force an alignment, mm. right? When when you know it could uh, it could bring people together around a table and say, hey, guys, we've got to do this. Those of you who don't like this, uh, you know, there'll be consequences for you and so on, right? So it has that ability, convening power mm. <laughs> to use a different uh, uh, kind of a metaphor. Mm. So I think we've compared it to a digital system and all. But I think the Google, Google thing is a little, uh, yeah, I think the Google thing is a little, makes it a lo- look a lot more anodyne, right? Like, <laughs> oh, what the Pakistani army, military, jari, it's like a Google Play Store, you know? Uh, well, yeah, yes, in a matter of speaking, but, you know, not strictly so, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 it makes it harmless, which is, I think, uh, a dangerous thing. Yeah, make it look harmless. It's hardly harmless. But I think we have to just understand it dispassionately as it having its own interests. right? Mm-hmm. I think the emotional way of looking at it uh, can lead us into all sorts of traps. This is a military jadi complex. It has its own interests. It so happens that the its interests are irreconcilable with ours yes. and therefore we've got to do something about it. On that sobering note, thank you so much, Nitin and Pranay. Thanks, Yazid. Thanks, Yazid.